Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today we are talking about the quote-unquote sequel to GoldenEye, uh, a game that really expanded out the idea of kind of the female hero bringing us more of what people wanted from Laura Croft and bringing like a new character into our realm with Joanna Dark. And we're talking about the N64 game, Perfect Dark. Some might call it perfect. I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily, but you know, that's, that's just something from me. A lot of people love GoldenEye 007 on the N64. Obviously, it's one of the most iconic games of all time. I believe we did an episode on it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we did an episode on it. Yep. Alex says yes, so I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Perfect Dark is one of those games that um, I have the N64 cartridge for this one still, and it's a, a game that if you liked shooters of that era, you had to play Perfect Dark. Just a lot of fun. But of course, as time goes on, I think shooters maybe are one of the games or one of the, the, the genres that get hit the hardest by mm-hmm. uh, technological improvements over time. But I am excited to talk about this one in sort of a retroactive capacity. Yeah, so let's jump right into it. Perfect Dark is a first-person shooter developed and published by Rare for the Nintendo 64 video game console in 2000. The first game of the Perfect Dark series, it follows Joanna Dark, an agent of the Carrington Institute Research Center, as she attempts to stop an extraterrestrial conspiracy by rival corporation Datadyne. The game features a campaign mode where the player must complete a series of levels to progress through the story, as well as a range of multiplayer options, including cooperative mode and traditional deathmatch settings with computer-controlled bots. As a spiritual successor to Rare's 1997 first-person shooter GoldenEye 007, Perfect Dark shares many features with its predecessor and runs on an upgraded version of its game engine. GoldenEye 007 director Martin Hollis led the game's production for the first 14 months of its near three-year development cycle before he left Rare to pursue other interests. The game is one of the most technically advanced titles for the N64 and requires an expansion pack to access the campaign mode and most of the multiplayer features. Shortly before the game's release, a feature that would have allowed players to place a photograph of their choice onto the face of their multiplayer character was cut due to sensitive issues surrounding the ability for players to attack images of real people. Upon release, Perfect Dark received critical acclaim and sold relatively well, 
eventually joining Nintendo's Player's Choice game selection. Critics widely praised its graphics, artificial intelligence, and number of multiplayer options, but some criticized its inconsistent frame rate. The game received the BAFTA Interactive Entertainment Moving Images Award for 2000 and the Golden Satellite Award for Best Interactive Product in 2001. The game is occasionally cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. It was supplemented by a Game Boy Color counterpart, which allows some gameplay options to alternatively be unlocked via a transfer pack. A remaster, also titled Perfect Dark, featuring enhanced graphics and online multiplayer, was released in 2010. Perfect Dark was developed by Rare and originally directed by Martin Hollis as a spiritual successor to the company's 1997 first-person shooter, GoldenEye 007. Shortly after GoldenEye 007 was released, Rare was planning to work on a game based on the GoldenEye sequel, Tomorrow Never Dies. But the company was outbid by Electronic Arts, which would release their video game adaptation in 1999. The result did not upset the developers, who felt they had already spent too much time immersed in the James Bond universe. Working titles for the new project included Covert Ops and Alien Intelligence before the words Perfect Dark were decided on. The word dark was chosen for its association with the game's bleak focus on killing. Hollis noted naming similarities to the 2006 first-person shooter Black by Criterion Games. Quote, Game developers just like Black, Nihilism, Dystopian Futures, The Number Zero, Infinity, Spheres, Perfection, all that kind of stuff. The double slash symbol in the game's logo was inspired by the Japanese writing system, while the bad grammar of the phrase Perfect Dark partially alludes to Hollis' affection for the way Japanese developers use English words in their own games and products. The game's science fiction setting was chosen due to the developer's interest in the genre. The X-Files television series inspired the incorporation of a gray alien character and the premise of aliens being investigated. Other influences on the setting, theme, and plot included conspiracy theories and works such as the Ghost in the Shell manga, Electra comic books, the films Blade Runner and Judge Dredd, and the writing of author Philip K. Dick. Hollis and designer David Doak picked architectural and impressive sci-fi dystopian settings. The plot was then constructed around these locations. For example, the first level takes place in a skyscraper that lead artist Carl Hilton had always wanted to build, and features realistic environments like service stairs and an exterior area that can be explored. Although the game features a new fictional universe, it was still envisioned as a spy shooter like GoldenEye 007. The developer's desires to expand upon its stealth mechanics, along with their admiration for the 1998 stealth game Metal Gear Solid, led to the creation of gadgets such as the Cam Spy and the Data Uplink device. The decision to make the central character a woman was part of Hollis' belief that there should be more games starring women, considering the fact that GoldenEye 007 already starred a man. To this end, the team created Joanna Dark, influenced by a number of fictional heroines. Kim Kimberly from the 1983 interactive fiction game Snowball, the seductive spy Agent X-27 in the 1931 film Dishonored, the eponymous Femme Fatale of the 1990 film La Femme Nikita, and FBI agent Dana Scully from, of course, The X-Files. 
The name Joanna Dark was taken from the French pronunciation of Joan of Arc as Jeanne d'Arc, while the name of the in-company Datadyne was inspired by Yo-Yo Dine from the 1965 novella The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. The layout of the Air Force One level was inspired by the 1997 film of the same name because it was the only reference material the team had. In the game's counter-operative mode, the idea that the opposing player can take control of another opponent at any time was inspired by the 1999 film The Matrix, where agents can reappear as another person in the film's simulated reality. Now, when production of the game started, the developers upgraded the GoldenEye 007 game engine with new features and enhancements, such as real-time lighting and support for bigger environments and more textures. According to Rare, only 30% of the original engine remained, providing a basic framework to construct levels and animate characters. A new movement system was constructed, allowing players to fall off edges. Other incremental improvements included better shattering glass effects, which would allow players to shoot out objects such as bottles of wine, and the inclusion of computer-controlled bots in multiplayer matches. The artificial intelligence was improved so that opponents could work as a team and draw a secondary weapon when disarmed. Death cries and more elaborate gore effects, which allow gunshots to disperse and stain enemies' blood onto nearby walls and objects, were also added. Originally, Hollis hoped that the difference between light and dark would be a significant feature of the gameplay, and the title was intended to reflect this focus. A flashlight was implemented by software engineer Steve Ellis, who had been responsible for much of the multiplayer mode for GoldenEye 007, but was ultimately not included in the game due to limitations of the Nintendo 64 hardware. In 2006, Hollis remarked that such aims were overambitious, stating that, quote, even today, you can see game developers struggle to make light and dark foundational from a gameplay perspective. Nevertheless, the game features more advanced lighting than its predecessor. For example, lights can be shot out to create darkened areas, gunfire and explosions illuminate rooms dynamically, and the player can use infrared or night vision goggles. Hollis was involved with Perfect Dark for the first 14 months of its near three-year development cycle, during which progress was unsatisfactory. As he explained, each of us was working for more than the other could give. This situation ended with my departure, and with very deep regret, I was unable to see Perfect Dark to completion. Hollis' decision came after his four-year contract with Rare was about to expire, which he chose not to renew as he wanted to pursue other interests. Shortly after his exit in September 1998, four additional members, Doak, Hilton, Ellis, and composer Graeme Norgate, left Rare to form Free Radical Design partially because they were unsatisfied with the working environment. This resulted in a loss of half of the workforce and led Rare to assign more people to the team remaining on the project, which eventually became three times bigger than GoldenEye 007's. Programmer Mark Edmonds was promoted to team leader because of his knowledge of the game engine. Although the story and ideas for the game were kept intact, the new team contributed so much to development that it was seen as a fresh start. The team worked in a very isolated and free environment and did not have a production manager, a schedule, meetings, commercial pressure, or any sort of deadlines. According to artist Brett Jones, people would just do things they thought were cool and would work. 
In spring 1999, Rare moved its headquarters from a country farmhouse in Twycross, Leicestershire, to its current multi-million office complex. Although the locations are a few minutes away from each other, the move caused minor disruptions for some. Rare installed an in-house motion capture studio, which was used to capture hit animations and full walk cycles. Game designer Duncan Botwood wore a pair of heels to portray Joanna Dark in some sessions, but motion capture artist Laurie Sage performed most of her moves. Many of the game opponents were based on members of the development team, who also performed the motion capture required for their animation. Numerous secrets were added to the game to fuel the exploration efforts of players, including a piece of cheese hidden in every level. These were deliberately placed by one of the level editors as a graphical oddity for the player's confusion. The game has two hidden passwords, one found by picking up a necklace in one level, and another by reaching the highest rank in the multiplayer mode. Rare had originally intended these details to access password-protected sections of promotional websites and use them for an alternate reality game. As developers kept adding features, the game ended up using all the extra memory on their debug consoles and became too big to fit into Nintendo 64's standard 4 megabytes of random access memory. Because the developers were unable to optimize it, they made use of the Nintendo 64 expansion pack, which increases the N64's RAM from 4 megabytes to 8. Although the expansion pack is required to access the game's campaign and most of the multiplayer features, a limited subset of deathmatch options are available without the device. Around 35% of the game is playable without an expansion pack, as estimated on the game's instruction booklet. The expansion pack allows the game to optionally be played in a 480i high-resolution mode. The counter-operative mode proved to be difficult to implement and led the game to be delayed. The iterative nature of the game's development led Hollis to describe the ultimate number of multiplayer options as a vast array of features I had never planned. Now, weirdly enough, Perfect Dark is set in an alternate 2023 against the backdrop of an interstellar war between two alien races. The Mayans, who resemble the archetypal gray alien, and the Skadar, or Skidar, the reptile-like creatures who use a cloaking device to appear human. On Earth, there is an ongoing rivalry between two companies, the Carrington Institute, a research center founded by Daniel Carrington that secretly operates an espionage group in league with the Mayans, and Datadyne, a defense contractor corporation headed by Cassandra de Vries. In exchange for creating an AI with code-breaking abilities to access an ancient alien spacecraft at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, the Skeeter agree to supply Datadyne with enough alien technology to become the biggest corporation on Earth. The player is cast as Joanna Dark, an agent of the Carrington Institute whose excellent scores and training have earned her the codename Perfect Dark. On her first mission, she is sent to extract a defector known as Dr. Carroll from a Datadyne laboratory. Dr. Carroll is revealed to be the AI created by Datadyne and is worried about the mission for which it has been designed. After the extraction, Carrington is held captive at his private villa by Datadyne soldiers. When Joanna rescues him, she's informed that Dr. Carroll has been taken to a Datadyne front in Chicago. There, Joanna learns that Cassandra, NSA Director Trent Easton, and a mysterious man known as Mr. Blonde 
planned to kidnap the President of the United States to get access to a deep-sea research vessel called the Pelagic II. Although the president is in danger, Carrington alerts Joanna that a Mayan craft was shot down near Area 51 and sends her to rescue a Mayan protector named Elvis. Because the president of the United States refuses to loan Datadyne the Pelagic II, the NSA sends a strike team to kill and replace him with a Datadyne-grown clone. The strike team invades the airbase from which the Air Force One will depart. When Joanna foils this strike, the NSA and a group of cloaked Skidar take over the plane itself, which crashes after Joanna attempts to detach a craft attached to it. Having survived the crash, Joanna eliminates the president's clone and rescues the real president. Trent's incompetence angers Mr. Blonde, who kills him after disabling his cloaking device. With no other options, Datadyne hijacks the Pelagic II to reach the ancient spacecraft. However, unbeknownst to Datadyne, the spacecraft contains a powerful weapon capable of destroying a planet, and the Skidar intend to test it on Earth before using it against the Mayan homeworld. Joanna and Elvis follow Datadyne to the ancient spacecraft, where they find a reprogrammed Dr. Carroll cracking the weapon. Joanna replaces its current personality with a backup of the original, and the restored Dr. Carroll sets the weapon to self-destruct. As Carrington and Joanna prepare for a presidential reception, the Skidar assault the Carrington Institute and capture Joanna. In space, aboard an alien spaceship on course to the Skidar homeworld, Joanna finds herself in a holding cell with Cassandra. Feeling that she has been used, Cassandra redeems herself by making a distraction and sacrificing herself, freeing Joanna and therefore giving herself a chance for revenge. With the help of Elvis, Joanna takes control of the spaceship and lands on the Skeeter homeworld, where she ultimately defeats the Skeetar leader, leaving the Skeetar in disarray. The game ends with Elvis and Joanna leaving the planet just prior to an orbital bombardment from the Mayan Navy. And as far as the campaign is concerned, Perfect Dark features this mode where a single player controls the game's protagonist, Joanna Dark, through a series of levels collected together into missions. In each level, the player must complete a set of objectives, while opponents controlled by the game's AI try to hinder the player's progress. Objectives generally require the recovery and use of high-tech gadgets like night vision goggles or door decoders. The player has freedom as to how to approach encounters, and many objectives can be completed in a non-linear order. Stealth is an important element of the gameplay because the player can kill opponents without being seen or remain undetected by using disguises. If Joanna fails an objective or her health is fully depleted, the player must start the level again from the beginning. Each level can be played on three distinct difficulty settings. These affect aspects such as the number of objectives that must be completed, damage taken from opponents, the effectiveness of the game's optional aiming assist, and the availability of ammunition and protective shields. Four bonus levels may be unlocked by completing the campaign on each difficulty setting and all the challenges in the firing range. Some of these bonus levels allow the player to assume the role of a different character. If all the levels have been completed on the highest difficulty, an additional setting becomes available, allowing the player to customize various aspects of the game's opponents, such as their health, aiming accuracy, and the damage they inflict. The player may unlock cheats by completing levels within a certain time limit. The campaign includes a cooperative mode, allowing either two players or 
one player and up to four computer-controlled bots to tackle a level together. If two players play, the game splits the screen horizontally or vertically. Options such as friendly fire can be disabled and only one player is required to survive a level. A counter-operative mode is included, allowing one player to play a level as Joanna, while another takes the role of an opponent while attempting to stop her. The player-controlled opponent has less health than Joanna, but will reappear as another opponent when defeated. The opposing player may choose to take control of another opponent at any time by swallowing a suicide pill. Cut from the game was a feature that allowed players to place a photograph of their choice onto the face of their multiplayer character. The photos would have been taken by the Game Boy camera accessory and directly transferred to the game via an N64 transfer pack. They could then be cropped or manipulated with an in-game editor and mapped onto the polygonal head of a multiplayer character. The photos could also be saved to the game cartridge or a controller pack for cross-game sharing. Although Rare's Nintendo side producer Ken Lobb originally stated that the feature was removed due to technical difficulties, the actual reason was revealed to be sensitive issues surrounding the ability for players to attack images of real people. Rare's decision came after the then-recent attacks such as the Columbine High School Massacre, when new censorship laws were being introduced in the United States. Perfect Dark features a multiplayer mode where up to four players and eight computer-controlled bots can compete against each other in different arenas. A split screen is used for multiple players. Players start a game unarmed with a certain amount of health. Weapons and ammunition are placed around the arena in preset positions. Once a player is killed, they are regenerated unarmed elsewhere in the arena. The objective of each game is determined by the scenario being played. Scenarios range from the traditional deathmatch mode, where players score points by killing opponents, to objective-based modes such as Capture the Flag and King of the Hill. Other scenarios include Hold the Briefcase, where players must take a briefcase and survive with it for as long as possible, and Hacker Central, a game type where players score points by hacking a computer system using a data uplink device. Aspects of a multiplayer game can be highly customized, including the chosen arena, the winning conditions, and the ability to choose what weapons and items appear where in the arena. Players can be grouped into teams or compete individually, and they can optionally be shown colored accordingly to their team. The appearance, team affiliation, skill level, and preset behaviors of each bot can be customized. Preset behaviors range from them pursuing the highest scoring player to exclusively chasing the player who killed them last. Other behaviors restrict bots to only attack players using fists and disarming moves. On higher skill levels, bots perform actions at a superhuman level. Players may issue commands to bots on their team to perform certain tasks. For example, a player can order an allied bot to defend an area or attack a designated opponent. The multiplayer mode includes 30 preset challenges against bots that may be tackled by one or more players. These challenges cover a variety of game types, weapon arrangements, and level setups. By completing challenges, additional features such as new weapons, player models, and bot behaviors are unlocked. At the end of a match, the overall results are shown alongside information about the individual player's performance. The game keeps track of player statistics, such as damage dealt and distance traveled, and awards players with medals based on how well they perform. Players are ranked according to their performance. The better the performance, the higher the grade. 
The player's overall progress, multiplayer setups, and character profiles can be saved to the N64 game cartridge or a controller pack, and the game also supports the Rumble Pack. The soundtrack was primarily composed by Grant Kirkhope, who replaced Norgate after his departure. Writing sci-fi music was a new and enjoyable experience for Kirkhope, as he had mainly worked on Banjo-Kazooie at the time. While he took inspiration from Blade Runner and the whistling sound of the X-Files theme song, he reused much of Norgate's sample set, especially peculiar sci-fi noises he had created. One of Norgate's few contributions to the final Perfect Dark score was the theme of the first level. A third composer, David Klinick, composed the game's cinematic sequence while Kirkhope was working on Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Tooie. The game supports 16x9 widescreen and Dolby surround sound, and features voice acting for all in-game and cutscene dialogue. Nintendo wanted an American actress to voice Joanna Dark, but the role ultimately went to composer Eveline Fisher. Because Perfect Dark features more than 45 minutes of voice cutscenes, the game was shipped in a 32MB cartridge. Although a follow-up to GoldenEye 007 was confirmed to be in development in early 1998, Perfect Dark was formally presented as Nintendo's lead game at E3 1998 in Atlanta, Georgia. Originally scheduled for a release in summer of 1999 and later in December of 99, Perfect Dark was heavily trailed in video game magazines, with Nintendo Official Magazine predicting that it would be the best shooting game this century. A working version of the game appeared at the European Computer Trade Show in September 1998. N64 Magazine described the preview as having the kind of attention to detail that had everyone who saw it drooling. A more complete version was presented at E3 in May of 99, where the game's compatibility with the Game Boy Camera was announced, and at Nintendo Space World in August of 99, alongside Rare's Donkey Kong 64 and Jet Force Gemini. Shortly before release, Rare unveiled a website for the in-game company Datadyne to promote interest in the game's storyline. The game had a marketing budget of $10 million. Perfect Dark was first released in North America on May 22, 2000. Nintendo arranged a number of publicity stunts, including hiring model Michelle Merkin, who appeared as Joanna Dark in commercials and in store promotions for the game. The game received a mature rating from the Entertainment Software Rating Board, particularly for its graphic content and adult language. This generated some controversy because Nintendo had a reputation for family-friendly games. The European release followed on June 30th, 2000. To supplement the game, Rare released a Game Boy Color counterpart, also titled Perfect Dark, shortly afterwards. The Game Boy Color game features a compatibility mode that allows certain cheats with the Nintendo 64 game to alternatively be unlocked via the transfer pack. In Japan, Perfect Dark was released on October 21st, 2000. Perfect Dark features a different box art for each regional release. Rare's art director, Kev Bayliss, who created the North American and European artworks, designed the North American version in one day because Rare uh, needed it quickly. He then created a more suitable Joanna Dark model for the European version and all the promotional material at the time. For the Japanese release, a completely different image was requested by Nintendo, who originally considered releasing the game in Japan under the title Akatukuru, or Red and Black. Perfect Dark does not translate well into Japanese, and the title Akatukuru 
was considered sufficiently edgy. The game was ultimately released as Pafakuto Daku, a transliteration of the Western title, so literally translated Perfect Dark. According to MPD's toy retail survey tracking system, Perfect Dark was the second best-selling game of May 2000 in North America, behind a Pokemon trading card game. The Japanese launch saw sales totaling 35,000 units in its first week. As a bestseller, Perfect Dark joined Nintendo's Player's Choice game selection on December 21, 2000. The game sold relatively well through the year's holiday season, reaching number 23 on the all-formats chart for the week of December 24, 2000. As of March 2003, Perfect Dark has sold almost 1.3 million copies in the U.S. and 77,000 copies in Japan. Total sales in the U.S. reached 1.5 million by December of 07. In a 2011 interview with Eurogamer, game designer Chris Tilston revealed that lifetime sales for the game reached 3.2 million, but did not clarify if the figure accounted for units shipped to retailers. Shortly after Perfect Dark was released, Rare planned to develop a sister title called Velvet Dark for either the N64 or its successor, the GameCube, but the project was ultimately abandoned. The name Velvet Dark references Joanna Dark's alleged sister, the character players assume the role of in the game's cooperative mode. Meanwhile, Free Radical Design released Time Splitters for the PS2 in October 2000, a first-person shooter based around a completely new engine. Time Splitters bears several gameplay and presentational similarities to GoldenEye 007 and Perfect Dark, including a similar aiming system and unlockable options through quick-level completions. After Rare was purchased by Microsoft in 2002, the company released a prequel, Perfect Dark Zero, as a launch title for the Xbox 360 in 2005. Although the game received generally positive reviews from critics, some publications felt it did not meet their expectations. In a retrospective analysis, Edge acknowledged that the game's frame rate and other dated elements of its design rendered it nigh-on unplayable. The magazine found the ambitious mentality which resulted in weapons and computer-controlled players being designed for possibilities rather than balance, both one of Perfect Dark's most interesting aspects and the cause of its biggest problem. Restraint would have made Perfect Dark a tighter, more focused experience, helped with those frame rate issues, and removed almost all of its fun, according to Edge. The magazine concluded that despite Perfect Dark not standing up as a good game to play in 2009, its currency of ideas and provocation remains sound. In 2015, Den of Geek considered Perfect Dark a game that's done more for the shooter genre than often credited for, and said that the game was still ahead of its time because no game had revitalized its ideas. Since its release, the game has attracted a following of elite players who constantly tried to speedrun its levels and break world records. These records are managed by their website and involve highly skilled players exploiting tiny gameplay inconsistencies. The game is occasionally cited as one of the greatest video games of all time by some publications. In 2006, Perfect Dark was placed at number 15 on IGN's Reader's Choice Top 100 Games Ever while Nintendo Power included it in their list of top 200 Nintendo games. In 2007, IGN editors placed the game at number 86 on their list of top 100 games of all time, 
noting that everything that Goldeneye made great, Perfect Dark did too, and then some. Similarly, Edge placed the title at number 28 on their 2007 list of 100 Best Video Games, a list voted for by readers, Edge staff, and gaming industry professionals. The magazine claimed that the game brought the Nintendo 64 era to a satisfying close. In 2009, official Nintendo magazine ranked it 37th on a list of 100 best Nintendo games. In 2022, a fan by the name of Ryan Dwyer fully decompiled the original ROM image into C source code, allowing the game to be ported unofficially to various platforms. A reboot, also titled Perfect Dark, is being developed by the initiative. Now, when it comes to the overall general reception, Perfect Dark received critical acclaim from video game publications. The most praised aspects of the game were its graphics, artificial intelligence, and number of multiplayer options. GameSpot claimed that, as a console first-person shooter, Perfect Dark is unparalleled, while IGN journalist Matt Casamassina remarked that its extensive features set the game apart from its peers. Similarly, N64 Magazine described Perfect Dark as dauntingly huge, stating that it takes everything that made its predecessor such an enduring favorite and does it bigger, better, and more often. Edge concluded that although the game fails to be as revolutionary as its predecessor, it refines its phenomenal gameplay while massively developing its multiplayer components. Nintendo Power editors called the game undeniably a work of art, suspenseful, more compelling than most action movies, and deeper than any video game of its type. The graphics were praised for their dynamic lighting, complex geometry, varied textures, and smooth animations. IGN remarked that levels were more detailed than in GoldenEye 007 and that character models and weapons were well animated. Game Revolution highlighted the game's semi-realistic look, saying that it adds to the depth and addiction of the game. The game's voiced cutscenes, surround sound effects, and atmospheric score, which was described as a mixture between the Blade Runner soundtrack by Vangelis and GoldenEye 007s, were said to effectively bring the game to life. The Electronic Playground credited Rare for being able to fit such a clear-sounding experience into the limited space of an N64 cartridge. The gameplay was praised for the challenging artificial intelligence of enemies and varied level design. The enemies were admired for their use of squad tactics, ability to wait for players to come back instead of obediently chasing after them, and for ducking around a corner for cover. As with GoldenEye 007, the game's non-linear approach to completing mission objectives was highlighted positively, giving players freedom to deal with situations as they see fit. The multiplayer mode was seen as the strongest aspect of the game. Reviewers noted that the flexibility of options, number of gameplay modes, clever weapons, number of unlockable features, and customizable computer-controlled bots give the game an unprecedented amount of replay value. GamePro called the game's counter-operative mode one of the coolest multiplayer modes ever, stating that the player playing as Joanna never knows which enemy the opposing player controls. The game's inconsistent frame rate was frequently criticized. According to trigger-happy author Stephen Poole, the game's inadequate temporal resolution, owing to a wrong-headed choice to privilege visual detail over frame rate, made it unplayable at higher difficulty levels. IGN editors observed that the frame rate can be choppy in large areas or environments with many characters on screen, 
but felt they were too frequently caught up in the game to notice it, or else were willing to forgive it. Poole described the lazy sci-fi fetishism of Joanna Dark's character design as a blatant and doomed attempt to steal the thunder of Laura Croft, and argued that she illustrated the challenges of characterizing the protagonists of first-person shooters, a problem that GoldenEye 007 had avoided by using the already well-known character James Bond. And now, again, I, I, we're going to argue some of these points, because I do disagree with some of that, but I do want to talk more about some of the major aspects that have really come out of Perfect Dark. And I'll let you start it off, Derek. Let the people know, why did we choose Perfect Dark and what do you think? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there was a a quote somewhere in there that was talking about that Perfect Dark has done a lot for the shooter genre that it doesn't get credit for. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to agree with that because there's just a lot of options within this game that I think were the next reasonable point after GoldenEye 007. And it's so hard for Perfect Dark because... The success of GoldenEye 007 was so revolutionary that it's like, unless you really, I think, see the same degree of difference, that same revolution going into Perfect Dark, you're going to feel disappointed in some way. And maybe that's not entirely fair to Perfect Dark and its gameplay. I know for me, looking back on this game for the nostalgia factor and retroactively, Like, if I have to go back and pick between Goldeneye and Perfect Dark, I'm going to pick Goldeneye. Sure. You know, it's it's just the the way that Goldeneye came out and revolutionized multiplayer for first-person shooters is just so, so, so huge. And so it is really difficult to look at Perfect Dark and really be fair to it. Now, I, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that come about with the campaign mode, how you can sort of be cooperative or you can be, you know, doing that sort of counter-operative mode. These Mm -hmm. are things that are really, really unique and cool ideas. I mean, to me, Perfect Dark feels like today what wouldn't be a sequel or a spiritual successor, but would be a really crazy mod to Mm -hmm. a game that already existed. So that's sort of how I think about Perfect Dark as a modern title, if it were to come out in that same capacity. But I think you really have to look at this and and think about Goldeneye and think about Perfect Dark and then think about Halo, which came out just a year and a half after this game did. 
and how much Halo Combat Evolved really revolutionized the shooter genre and launched mm-hmm. this massive franchise. So it's like when we're looking at, you know, the periods in time, I just think Perfect Dark had such an uphill battle on what it really faced because it's at the end of a dying console it's coming out. It's coming off the heels of one of the greatest first-person shooters ever made. And then you see what true revolution comes um, in the form of Halo Combat Evolved just a year and a half later. So really tough for Perfect Dark. Still a game that I I do own this for N64. It's fun, but it's just not going to be my first like nostalgia shooter pick. Yeah, and you're right, especially when you talk about Rare, who we know for, like, Donkey Kong and for, like, Banjo-Kazooie. And we do know them for the GoldenEye and for World is Not Enough and for some other titles that have come out now that Microsoft acquired them in, in O2. It is. It is that jump that just, it was this middling thing. And I do agree that it is tough trying to make a new IP at the end of the life cycle of a console especially following James Bond that everyone knows based off the movie that everyone knows following the story of this movie into a new IP. But looking at the things that a lot of games just didn't try again, counteroperative mode, you know, we don't really see that I think until maybe left for dead. Yeah. Where you have one team that plays as you typically normally, what is the survivors and the other get to inhabit the different special infected. And you know, get a spawn somewhere on the map and try and hinder them through multiple spawns. And so that's really the only other thing that I can think of that uses that mode adequately yeah. in, in that same vein. And that makes it a whole nother experience playing through the campaign again. And it's a shame we don't see more of that because I think that's such a cool way to do that is for you to basically have a souped up AI you're playing against, which is actually your friend. Or your enemy, who knows? But (laughs) is this cool way to play through it that allows so much more replayability than just playing a co-op campaign or playing multiplayer with your friends? Right, and that's what I like about that is instead of it being this competition, who can get the most kills in a, a time limit? Who can kill the person 10 times before the other one, you know? It's something that has a different goal in mind. It's not just, I kill you, you kill me, we go back and forth, whoever did it the most wins. It's, you're still trying to get through this level, and I'm trying to stop you. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a a very good, logical step forward in head-to-head multiplayer for the shooter genre. That you're right, we, we really don't see that happen very often. I mean... How cool would it be to be running through the Halo campaign and I'm going to be a grunt now. I'm going to be an elite. I'm going to come and try and stop Chief while he tries to run through me. It doesn't necessarily fit with the narrative of like the superhuman that is Chief very well, Sure, but it would have been a ton of fun. Yeah. Or even even a mode. I mean, we see a little bit of this in more of like the real-time strategy games like Dungeon Defenders, and there's a couple others that you can basically make your own dungeon that people have to kind of crawl through. There's a modern, uh, I think there was like a Twitch thing for it, where basically you built your own kind of death map for people to explore. But if you do something in Halo, where someone is almost like on an art, like a real-time look over the map and can like summon in enemies, 
And I, there's a couple games that do it. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head, but like that would be fun. Where they're playing through the campaign and you kind of tailor it your own way. You tell your own story throughout these things and it just increases those modes because maybe you don't just want to have a sniper battle with each other. Maybe you don't just want to have a team deathmatch, but you want to still play multiplayer, but play it in a totally different realm, a totally different way that challenges both of you. You as the players play this campaign a hundred times versus the other players like, hey, how do I make this more challenging, more epic, more over the top? And how can I really try and stop my friend from beating this campaign? Yeah. And I mean, playing N64 games back then or even PS2 games, you know, you got the two controller slots for that. You got four for N64. But a lot of times you're not having four people over to come and play. So playing head-to-head shooters back then, it was just not really fun. I mean, now you've got all the internet access and, and all that stuff built in. So you're never really just doing that local head-to-head thing anymore. But back then, like, Mm -hmm. you were doing that, and it got boring after a while. I mean, yeah, it's great if you have a sleep overnight or whatever, three friends, maybe more, take turns, you know, doing that uh, four splits on the screen and going after each other in GoldenEye. But, you know, doing that head-to-head and having that other option I think was a really, really smart decision. And you could tell that there's a lot of passion within this game's development and for the genre that they wanted to include all these different modes and ways of thinking. Like, yeah, they talk about the visuals and they talk about how they were really wanted to include the darkness as this this aspect of the game that just creates a different ambience and, and a different difficulty and all that stuff is great. But for me, it was all the additional options and tunings that you could put into this game that I think when we talk about the influence that it has on modern shooters, it's talking about that stuff. Yeah, and and going to multiplayer again, where you can have these bots, which again, it's taken them now 20 some odd years for them to start to put bots in Halo. And you have these bots in 2000 where you can customize, hey, go after the person who killed you. Hey, go after the person with the highest score. Hey, here's these options that we're going to tweak with you. You can only use your hands. You can use these certain guns. You can disarm. That is such a robust system to have in 2000 to be able to, again, customize how you're playing. You can play the same arena map, the same gameplay style, but you go, hey, bot, challenge, challenge the best player. Yeah. Always challenge them. Challenge the best player with it. And that changes up that experience. Again, it, it's a small tweak overall, but it does change the experience up. You as that top leaderboard person, has you've got a target on you for every bot that's in there right now. And I think that's just such a cool way to play that through, to kind of even that playing field a little bit, make it a little tougher for, the, for your friend who's way too good at the game right. to like have to like watch all corners. That is such a cool way to do it. Right. The guy who owns the game probably needs that bot to just be chasing him, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, this game in a lot of ways is just a culmination and celebration of the 90s. Yeah. So many things that were very 90s going into this, you know, thinking about the X-Files, trying to get into that like edgy, cool, like female protagonist thing that Tomb Raider was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, all that like alien lore where it's like X-Files certainly added a lot to that, but Area 51 and 
and all those things sort of really popping up and being dominant in the media, I think, were really interesting. And you, I, I think you can feel a lot of that in this game where James Bond existed, obviously, well before that game came out um, and still going strong sure. and all that stuff. And if you didn't like James Bond and that was your introdu- introduction to the character... Well, at, you know, at least there was all that backstory already there. Whereas this was just looking around, I think, at any relevant sort of sci-fi media, like, we'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and Dana Scully, and we're going to just throw it all together and, and see what happens. But at the end of the day, you don't really play first-person shooters too often for the narrative in my opinion. Um, so it feels like a lot of energy and time put into that that are really just, I think it's it, it like built a little time capsule of the 90s and released it in 2000 and said, hey, here you go, everyone. Did you have a good time like we did? But beyond that, if you were to go back and, and pick between the two now, I, I just think you got to pick GoldenEye 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think, again, it, it was ahead of its time and like most pieces of media that do that, where they put a little bit too much into something that maybe is not a quality established IP, because GoldenEye overall, especially when it comes to multiplayer, had its cool modes. Yeah. Very simple, very blocky, very kind of like 90s in the past, whereas kind of this perfect dark was this challenge to like, how can we make something that legitimately feels from the future, from 2023. It was polished. Yeah, it was polished. Yeah. It was polished, it was taken care of, and, you know, especially having that GoldenEye money was definitely nice to kind of put that towards <laughs> it. Um, right. So if we, if we had to wrap it up and we had to give it a rating, what would you give it? I'd give it, I think, like a 7 out of 10. I just, uh, you know, maybe even like a 6 mm-hmm. out of 10. We'll, we'll split the difference. We'll say six and a half out of 10. Doesn't matter. I can make it out of 29 or <laughs> whatever. That's how, that's how people do it on the, the interwebs back in the 90s. I, yeah, I, I think that it's a, a good game and it just never really caught on in the same way as some other games did. And, yeah. and there's legitimate reasons for that. You can argue it and say, well, no, it should have though. It really like, it doesn't get enough credit. And it's like, well, maybe, but at the end of the day, like the circumstances weren't necessarily in its favor and it's a good game. And I'm sure if you bought it back then and you had the expansion pack, I, I hope, I hope that no one listening to this was in the situation where they didn't get that Donkey Kong 64, <laughs> get that expansion pack and bought this game and only played 35% of it or something like that. But I just think all those things considered that you probably had a good time if that was you, but if you were looking back on the broad scope of everything, maybe maybe you're someone that you're a Game Boy camera owner and you're still really upset to this day that you weren't able to shoot your own face off. I, I don't know. Six and a half out of 10. I'm going off the rails. What about you? Yeah, I, again, it's it's one of those. I played a lot more Perfect Dark Zero on the Xbox um, 360 and uh, mm. really enjoyed playing through that a lot. And I played through a lot of the multiplayer mo- mode more than I played the campaign stuff. It was just a pretty solid multiplayer. But again, it doesn't 
not that it doesn't feel triple A, it just always fit in that middle of like, it's an okay shooter. It is fun. Is it something that's going to get me like Call of Duty levels, Halo levels, whatever, you know, other type of like really hardcore in a way shooters? No, it doesn't reach that. And that's kind of how I think it starts out. I'm excited to see what they do, whether because a spiritual reboot in and of itself of doing a perfect dark, very much how they reimagined Laura Croft in the newer updated Tomb Raiders was very Mm -hmm. cool. So if we get kind of a spiritual reboot and make it its own would be very amazing. Uh, Give her a bow. Give her a bow. (laughs) Bring it back to the uh, 2010s. Give her a bow. Give everyone a bow at that point and one shot kills. Look, we are overdue for bows. (laughs) Bring them back. Bows back, baby. My my internet algorithm is just like Red Dead 2 videos where some modder kills a bunch of people with a bow. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know how I fell into that trap. It, it probably started in 2010, and it's just carried on. But but we're, we're due. Cycle it back. Bring back the bow. 2023. Let's go. Yeah, so I give this uh, game a, like, probably a BBTH. TH? BBTB. <laughs> No Hellions here, just bows. Bring back the bow. Uh, Bring back the bows, baby. We are off the rails. But it's a wonderful game. Bo. I loved Bo it. Bow knows. Bow. Bow knows. Bow knows. That's another, uh, that's a sweet 90s reference for you there. I'm pretty sure Bo Jackson played in the 90s. Off the rails. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was given to us by our friend Evan Barr. And our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people. Also want to thank the beautiful people over on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Want to thank a few select members today with Snide T-Bird, Nick Hyman, and Anthony Gooch. Thank you so much for your support. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. It helps us out a lot. We love to hear from you. If you're listening to this on Spotify, we've also got fun Q&As and things like that, the occasional poll in the description below. And as always, you can catch us on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sourman70. As well as Derek at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You could also join our Discord. It's free to join. There is a link in the description below, and we would love to see you there. And with that, this has been our coverage of Perfect Dark. Are there any perfect games you think we should cover next? Anything that was revolutionary that did not get kind of the time of day from everybody? That kind of got that middling score, but has changed the landscape as we see it. Let us know on our socials, discords, wherever, and we'll cover something that you select next as always i am your host alex kendall and i am your host derek dark and this has been finish the fight a gaming podcast oh no derek boker yes bows bows baby goodbye <laughs>